Let's pray once more. Great God in heaven, we thank you for who you are, for how you've loved us, for how you have shown us great mercy. Truly, God, you are merciful and kind, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger. And your loyal love you carry to the thousands of generations. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. God, we ask that you would be merciful to us as we turn now to your word. God, that in spite of a foolish preacher, Lord, that you would speak, that your words would go forth. That God, you would pierce us to our hearts. You would convict us and challenge us. Lord, we also ask that you would comfort and strengthen those who are hurting. God. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to take and turn with me once again to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews in the New Testament, towards the end of the New Testament. If you get to the book of James, you've gone one too far. You're going through Paul's letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus and Philemon. Right after there, you should run into Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3 this morning. Hebrews chapter 3, and we will be reading all 19 verses of chapter 3. As is our tradition, I will ask, as you find your place in sacred scripture, if you are physically able, would you please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word as we look together now at the book of Hebrews chapter 3, the word of the Lord. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone. But the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard 
and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, with whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we continue in our study of Hebrews, we began in Hebrews chapter 1 looking at how Jesus is superior to all the angels. That Jesus is not an angel. He is not Michael's brother. He is not a sibling to Lucifer. Jesus is superior to all angelic beings. In him, all things were created. In him, all things hold together. He is eternally begotten of the Father, of the same essence. There are three in our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, co-equals, three in one, one in three, all of it wrapped up in one God. As we are told in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And yet our Father expresses Himself to us in Father, Son, and Spirit. All three equal to one another. So Jesus is far superior to the angels. And then last week we looked at because of the superiority of Jesus, we must not neglect our salvation. How can we escape the coming wrath if we neglect our Savior and neglect our salvation? And so here we come in chapter 3 of Hebrews, and now we are making an analogy as to how Jesus is the new, better, and greater Moses. You might be thinking, okay, all right, we, we already compared Jesus to angels, so it's kind of like we're going backwards to compare him to Moses, right? I mean, this is this is very strange. But the author of Hebrews is brilliant as the Holy Spirit leads the author to write and set up themes that we'll revisit for the rest of the letter. And what we're trying to see, what the author and what the Holy Spirit wants us to see, is that just in the same way that Moses was the intercessor for the people of Israel, Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us in ways that Moses never could. I know that our Sunday school lesson this morning talked about Moses going back and forth up to the mountain and his conversations with the Lord. And this passage is to show us that Jesus is so far superior to Moses. Moses is described as a servant in verse 5. Moses was a faithful servant in God's house, but Christ is over God's house as a son. The son supersedes the servant. The servant is faithful in the house. The son is faithful over the house. And then they go a step further to say that we are the house. Just another reference in Scripture that you and I, if we believe in Jesus, if we accept Jesus as our Savior, trust in Him and Him alone for salvation, your body and my body is His house. This church campus, this place where we gather is important. It is a sacred space because we have set it aside for the purpose of worshiping God together. But this is not God's house. This is not God's temple. You and I, if we believe, 
are God's house and God's temple. So what we do to our bodies is far more important than what we ever seem to give a thought to. I say that in conviction because I know that I don't take care of myself the way that I should. And if I am a believer, then my body is the house and the home of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ is the Lord over this house. But sometimes around 11 o'clock, all the kids finally got to sleep. I'm still a little bit hungry and maybe I need to go and eat a few Oreos or something like that. And that's not very, that's not very honoring to the Lord of this house. This house is meant to be an object to glorify God. And so I don't care whether you're smoking I don't care whether you're drinking. I don't care whether you're overeating. I don't care if you're lackadaisical and sedimentary in all of your life. You're sediment, so you become sedimentary rock. It's just you sit there long enough, you just turn into a stone. I don't care how you're not taking care of your body. As the pot calling the kettle black, we have to take care of our bodies. And people who say, well, pastor, it's just it's not very sinful to chew tobacco. If it's not taking care of your body, yes, it is sinful. If it's Smoking. Oh, okay. You know what, Pastor? There's nothing in the Bible that says I can't smoke. You, you are correct, except the Bible says take care of your temple. And if you're smoking, you're not taking care of the house of the Lord. And the same people that we who are overweight or those who are in terrible health for their, from their own doing, we have a habit of showing up and talking about the way that this place looks. And we're 20 times more concerned with the condition of this building than we are with the condition of our heart. And the physical aspect of our own. And folks, I'm not up here wagging a finger at you saying, hey, let me tell you something. If you're overeating, then you are a failure. Except for the fact that I am. I don't take care of this temple. So I know. I don't stand up here as a hypocrite telling you that if you're not running 5Ks, then you're failing the Lord But I do stand up here to tell you that if you're not taking care of your body, if I'm not taking care of my body, I am failing the Lord because he wants us to take care of his temple. It's in 1 Corinthians. It's here again in Hebrews. Christ is over the house. He is Lord over your body and my body. So what we do to our bodies reflects the Lord of the house. That's important for us to remember. And I know there's so many other things that can bog us down, but listen, how we take care of our bodies is of extreme importance to the one who is in control of our bodies. Our bodies belong to him. If Jesus gave you a house, a physical building, and said, take care of this house, and I'm coming back to check on it, you better believe you're going to be painting, you're going to be putting crown molding up, you're going to be making that house look as nice and as well manicured as you possibly could because you know Jesus is coming back and he's going to look at how you cared for the house that he gave you. The same way with a car. If you're given a car, you're going to take care of that car. Your body, my body, is something that God gave us and entrusted to us to care for. And When we don't care for it, there will be a day when we stand before him and go, Hey, Nathan. What were you doing, son? I gave you that body so that you could work and serve and glorify me. And you sat on your rear end all day long and you did nothing. You never exercised. You never took care of yourself. You never ate healthy foods. You wasted away. Do you know how many opportunities you missed because you were sitting in front of a TV instead of out sharing the gospel, moving, using the body that I gave you for my glory? I've got an answer to the Lord for that one day. 
I have to stand before him and those sins will be forgiven, but I still have to be held accountable to the Lord for that. And so listen, I I promise that this is one of my biggest areas of struggle. I like to joke and say, you know, the Lord lets me be overweight because if I wasn't, I'd just be perfect. You know, got everything else figured out. It's just the weight. That's all I'm struggling with. I know that's not true. It's, It's a joke, but this is an area that is of in extreme struggle. And and this is where I fight. And wrestle. And so I don't say this. If you're out there and you're chewing tobacco, you're smoking, you're getting drunk every night, that's bad for your health. What I'm doing is bad for my health. Together, we have to take care of the bodies that God has given us. Hey, I would even go so far as to say, you know, if you're doing things that cause cancer other than smoking, you probably need to take care of your body. All right? So we're together in this. I'm not wagging my finger. I'm not up on my high horse. I know I'm up on a stage, but I promise this isn't my soapbox. This is my struggle. But we continue. The writer tells us that we are God's house and that we are and that Jesus is greater than Moses. You know, sometimes I think we forget just how awesome Moses was. We think about, well, Jesus is better than angels, and angels are so much better than Moses. Why are we backtracking to Moses now? But everything about this chapter is set up so that we look to Moses, we think of Moses in the wilderness, because the author is comparing us today, the reader, the audience, to the people of Israel. And everything about the sacrificial system that they followed, everything about Joseph and Mary going and sacrificing the two turtle doves, everything about them following the law so that Jesus could fulfill the law, Moses was the intercessor who gave that to the people. Moses was the one who climbed up the mountain and came down and looked like he had been in radioactive waste because his face is shining like the sun. They have to put a veil over him because it slowly fades away. Moses is the one standing in the presence of God and the cloud would descend on the tabernacle and Moses would just walk in like it was nothing. Moses is a huge deal. Every law that is written down was given to Moses to give to the people. He was their spokesperson. Everything about their society hinged upon what God told them through Moses. So for the Bible to teach us that Jesus is the better Moses is radical to everyone who is Jewish reading this text. And as you can tell from the title of the book, it is sent to people who are Hebrews. And so the people reading this would be entrenched in the Mosaic law, would be entrenched in the sacrificial system. And when they hear that Jesus is better than Moses, it's going to blow their minds. It's so important that this isn't the only place that we see this. Walk with me for just a second through the book of Matthew. Listen, Jesus being the better and greater Moses is so important that everything in the structure of the gospel of Matthew points to how Jesus is the new Moses, the better Moses. We need a new Moses, and Jesus is that Moses. There are Matthew wrote his gospel for a Jewish audience, just like the book of Hebrews, and it's intended to prove that Jesus is Israel's promised Messiah. The primary focus is Jesus' identity. So there's four aspects of Jesus' identity that Matthew stresses to us. Jesus is the Messiah. That's first and foremost in the gospel of Matthew. Secondly, Jesus is the new Abraham. 
So Jesus is the founder of a new spiritual Israel that consists of all people who choose to follow Jesus, not just those who are born Jewish. Those are two huge things. Thirdly, Jesus is the new Moses, the deliverer and instructor of God's people. You have to think that the Israelites constantly struggled to see Moses as their deliverer because he brought them out of 400 years of slavery. All of the plagues that were brought upon the people were brought through Moses' hands. Moses was a conduit of God's power and blessing and might. And so they see Moses and those images are conjured up in their mind. Jesus is the new Moses who will deliver the people of God in an even greater way. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is the virgin-born Son of God who fulfills all the promises of the Old Testament. And then these, these several features of the gospel structure emphasize those themes. The introductory accounts, the lineage, the birth, the flight out of Egypt demonstrate Christ's place as the Jewish Messiah. Specifically, the journey out of Egypt identifies Jesus as the second Moses. Because Jesus had to flee to Egypt and is brought up out of Egypt, that mimics the exact thing that Moses does for the Jewish people. The author of Matthew proposes that the gospel is divided into five teaching sections. These form the core of Jesus' teaching in Matthew. You got a huge chunk in 5 to 7. You got a huge chunk in 10, 5 through 42. Another big chunk in chapter 13, 1 to 52. Another big chunk in chapter 18. And the fifth one is chapters 23 through 25. So these five second, these five sections correspond to the five first books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. These five sections of teaching, when you look at them, the first section mimics the law. The next section follows through every book that Moses is attributed for writing. And Matthew structures these teachings. Even though Jesus might have taught these things at different places, he arranges all of this teaching together to show that Jesus is the new Moses. Christ's first teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. He's on a mount. Where does Moses come down from to give the law the first time? The mountain, right? It's almost the same word. Jesus goes up on a mount and gives new law. And everything in that first section pertains to the law. The miracles of feeding the multitudes with the loaves and the fish, the walking on water, these are reminiscent of the provision of the manna in the wilderness and the crossing of the Red Sea. So Jesus is identified as a new Moses. All right, I got a bad, corny joke for you. Are you ready? You can take this to work with you tomorrow, and people will look at you funny. Are you ready? How does Moses make tea? He brews it. You get it? He brews. We're in Hebrews. Talking about Moses. That's all I got, guys. I'm sorry. The best that I've got. So as we go through this, Jesus is the better Moses. And why does that matter? Because... Moses could not get the people to the promised land. Moses led the people. Moses begged with the people. God didn't let their shoes wear out. Moses would strike rocks and water would flow from the rocks. They would wake up every morning and there were frosted flakes all over the ground that they called manna. They got tired of manna and they wanted bread. They wanted meat. So in in addition to the bread, God had quail that they could find and hunt. So they had quail and manna every day. And yet they doubted And they could not make it to the promised land. That whole generation died and never made it to the promised land. Because Moses 
could not deliver them to the promised land. There's a need for a greater Moses. Those people hardened their heart. And Moses could do nothing about it but get angry. And Moses doesn't make it into the promised land himself. But there's an even better promised land. Not just the land of Israel. We're talking about an eternal home in the presence of God Almighty. And there is a better Moses who is fully equipped to carry us to the better promised land. That's what the author of Hebrews wants us to see. That we need a better Moses and Jesus is that better Moses. And so then he turns and says, don't be like that generation. Don't be like the ones that didn't make it to the promised land. They hardened their hearts. It's reminiscent of what Jason said earlier. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Don't quench the spirit. Folks, you ever notice the first time that you do something bad or do something wrong? I mean, you're almost shaking. You know what I mean? The other day, it's confession time. So sorry. The other day, I threw a big box into a dumpster that wasn't a dumpster at all because I tried to go to the landfill and they were closed. And then I ended up taking the box somewhere else. And it was, it was a huge, it was a huge debacle. Okay. I, I couldn't get the box up there. The wind was blowing so hard. I pulled the box out. It almost blew me away. And it wasn't the right dumpster because the regular size trash dumpster is like this high. And this one was this high. So I've got the box all folded up and going. And then about the time I get the box to fall over and go in, I hear the factory over there where the dumpster's sitting outside of crank up. And they're like fighting and they're doing something. And I'm like, oh, they're going to catch me. I got to go. And I'm running. My heart's pounding 50 million miles a minute. And I'm just just absolutely stressed out beyond what I can describe. And so I dump the box in there. It hits and clangs on top of metal. So I know that the box was not going in the right place because that was a metal container. And not a garbage can. And, but I don't have time to think about that. So I run back to the van and I hop in the van. I throw it in reverse and Luke's in the back seat. He's going, Daddy, what's going on? What's wrong? I said, Shut up, son. We got to go. And I just pull out and take off and pull out of the dirt. I'm driving away. I'm like, the cops are after me. I know it for sure. This is happening. I'm this. this is, I'm, oh, man, the church. I can't believe our pastor. Our pastor threw a box in a dumpster that wasn't his. We got to get a new pastor. That's it. The world is coming to an end in my mind, okay? When you do something wrong for the very first time that you know is wrong, don't, I don't want to celebrate that I did that, okay? That was a bad thing to do, and I might get fined. I don't know. I will find out. But when we do something that is wrong, that, that sensation is going on within us, right? <laughs> I'm going to get caught. What do I do? <laughs> that first time you tell a lie, oh, my gosh, they can see right through me. I know that they know that I'm not telling the truth, and this is going to be bad, and I don't know what I'm going to do. They're all just, uh, they, he sees, they know, they know, they know. Do I tell another lie? Do I fess up? Do I tell another lie? Do I fess up? I'm going to tell another lie. Here we go. And then the next lie you tell gets a little bit easier, right? And then the next time you do something wrong, it gets a little bit easier. And all along, we're desensitizing ourselves. I remember being in the locker room when I played football and the language and the things that I heard. And I just didn't even bother me. Just I got to a point where people could be dropping F-bombs all over the place. And I just didn't even care. It just was just another day. I mean, those people talked horrendously. It's the same way with our hearts and the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit is going to pull on us and tug on us. And we have the freedom to harden our own hearts. Hebrews points to Moses and speaks of hardening the heart because it wants us to remember Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Lord. And we have the same opportunity. 
We can harden our hearts against God, do things that we're not supposed to do, and ignore the Holy Spirit and quench the Holy Spirit's movement in our hearts. Listen, every time that the, we get to a time of response and you're standing there and you, your heart is beating out of your chest and you're like, I'm supposed to go down. I'm supposed to go down right now. I've got to go down and make a decision. I've got to go down and pray. I've got to go down and get the pastor to pray with me. I've got to go up there and talk to Jason. And I know he's singing, but I need Jason to tell me about that stuff we just sang about because, man, I just I need Jesus right now. And you go, no. Nah, I, 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 I can't do that. No. Ooh, walk in front of people. They might, they might think I'm a sinner or something. I mean, like, they might think I need prayer. I can't, I can't. There's like, there's like almost 300 people in here. Pastor, you want me to walk? No, Lord, I'm not doing that. Lord, your Holy Spirit, you're moving me to. No, I'm not going to do that. Your hearts get a little hard. And the next Sunday, you come back, you feel that move and that tug within yourself and you have no idea where it's coming from and with everything in you you're like i gotta go down there and i don't even know why and you say no lord no i'm not doing it and the next sunday not really as strong kind of feel a tug but instead of pulling with all in might it's just a little tug and the sunday after that you don't feel any tug at all you keep rejecting and keep quenching and keep hardening and all of a sudden we get here and we complain I tell you what, Jason isn't any good with that music no more. I stand here in this congregation, I ain't felt the Spirit move in weeks. Have we ever thought that maybe we hardened our own hearts? To the point that we ignore what God's doing. It says there at the end that in verses 15 through 19, that the unbelief led to the hardening of their hearts. Sometimes we stand here and we don't believe that God can move or that God will move. And it's just like when Jesus had to move on from Nazareth because nobody believed. Nobody had faith. But when we have faith and when we believe, we will be able to watch God move. And we have the honor and the privilege to participate in the movement of the Spirit. But we get into these ruts where we just harden our hearts and become callous to what God is doing in us and around us and through us. And then we go and we get in these crises of faith where we're going, God, I can't even believe in you anymore. Are you even there? Will you show up and do something? And God's going, I've been trying. Your heart's so heart, you're sinking to the bottom of the ocean. I can't pick you up out of the water because you got cement bricks on your feet. In church, I know this feeling. I've walked in it. Let us not harden our hearts and become callous and filled with unbelief. But let us obey and follow God and take part of what the Holy Spirit is doing in this church And open our eyes to see that God is real and He is moving around us. To cry out like the man in Mark that said, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I promise that's not hardening your heart. That's opening your heart to say, God, move in me. Move through me. Do something to me and in me, Lord. Change me. And when we come contrite and humble to the Lord like that, our hearts will be ever more open and soft. And sensitive to what God is doing. And you'll start walking through your hallways at work and at school and at university and wherever you are and, and through your house. And you'll just go, mm, mm, I, I don't know why, but I need to pray for Damon right now. Something's going on. I need to pray for Damon. And you stop and you pray. And then one of these days, Damon comes by and says, man, I want you to know three weeks ago there was just this thing going on at work. And I mean, like, 
I thought the power grid was going to shut down. And then all of a sudden, man, God showed up and he just delivered. And you go, hang on, hang on, three weeks ago? Wait a minute. Like, what day? What, what time of day was this happening? And God will show you over and over again when our hearts are open, when we're filled with belief. It works both ways. The more we harden, the more callous we become. The more we are open, the more sensitive we will become. And God will move on us because He knows we'll listen. And because He knows that we'll respond. And there will be opportunities to minister that we can't even fathom right now. So church, I ask you this morning, how many of us are in that place where we've become like Pharaoh? Where we don't ever feel this Holy Spirit moving, we just keep coming because it's what we're supposed to do. Maybe it is my fault, maybe it is Jason's fault, but maybe your heart or my heart is so callous that we have quenched out the Spirit, that we've snuffed out the light, and we've filled ourselves with unbelief. And God won't move because our hearts have been so hardened. Is that you this morning? What is quoted twice in this passage? Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Church, this morning, if you hear God's voice, Scripture is urging you, do not harden your heart as in the days of rebellion, but respond to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You love us. We thank You that because of Jesus, there is a better Moses. Because of Jesus, we have hope of making it to the true promised land. God, we thank You that because of Jesus, there is hope for our sin-sick and wretched soul. But Lord, help us not to harden our hearts as in the days of rebellion. Don't allow us, Lord, to be another generation like the generation that Moses was leading, Lord. Father, cause us to be filled with belief, to have hearts that are open and sensitive to Your Word and the movement of Your Spirit. Oh God, we love You. We need a fresh touch of Your glory, a fresh movement of Your Spirit. Help us, Lord. Grant us repentance that we might respond in humility. Lord, we give this time over to You. It belongs to You anyway. We ask all these things in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit.